Oh, and Lauren Hostetelli's dead too. But you know that, don't you? Don't spoil the mystique about what we record, Eric. We've uh, told you that before. Yeah, well, you know. Welcome, friends, ladies, gentlemen, barnyard animals. Well. All of you. Do we have any ladies on the show today? Not right now. Not right now. Kate is unfortunately moving this week. She has purchased a brand new palace made of stone, ivory. Ain't that some shit. Yeah. She, let's let's be honest, guys. She Sheep's sacked Young Kai, didn't she? She sacked Young Kai, and now she gets to move into the palace. Her palace uh, 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 penthouse is ready. Is so. that right? I just, what I heard, and, and you guys can tell me if I'm wrong here, is that she actually got thrown out of her current apartment for laughing too loud while oh. recording this show. <laughs> as one of our... Uh, there was some noise complaint right issues. Yeah. yeah. Well, we, we just uh, wanted to say hello and uh, we're glad that you're here. It's been uh, a week since, or it's been two weeks since we, we've spoken to you last. And between those times, Eric and I have returned from uh, a trip to a magical, magical world. A few yes. magical worlds, I think, technically. Yeah. And uh, a few of us have gone through colds. I think one or two of us are still in the midst of colds. Micah he won an NBA slam dunk contest, if I'm correct. <laughs> this has just been a busy, busy time, so we're glad that you're here with us. It's uh, a great, great day in February, and really it's just, uh, we're just happy to be here. I'm grateful for all you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think the last time uh, that we were all together, it's been a while, right? Yeah, a couple weeks. The last episode, maybe I'm mistaken, was was uh, sort of a, a mix, right? Yeah, it, it Eric, had all of us, but at separate... Zach, Mm-hmm. You were uh, in Orlando, yeah, enjoying your magical lands, mm-hmm. and yes. uh, Kate and I had received a trailer, uh, as you did when you saw uh, the IMAX version of Game of Thrones, yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were breaking things down both to the sullied and unsullied. So uh, this is the first time, at least, that uh, I've talked. Well, not 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 like we don't talk, but I'm just saying, like <laughs> the first time we get the opportunity to. Uh, talk with each other live in quite some time. Especially about Game of Thrones. Our, our conversations tend to drift at times, but uh, it's nice when we press the record button that it's time to target things in and to really get excited about what's happening in our, our world that we share with you mm-hmm. all. And just before we go any further, I wanted to celebrate something that has been celebrated uh, both on our social accounts and pretty much by oh, yeah, Thrones fans right. across Zach, the world. Zach, happy birthday. That. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that's what you were, you were uh, no. hinting at. No, but thank you. I am older now, as we all are every single day. No, I wanted to celebrate. I wanted all of us to get excited about the fact that on October 6th, the tales of Duncan Egg will be released as a single novella story collection. Woohoo! That is cool. Yeah, that's cool. I'm looking forward to it. Is there going to be any new material? Well, it's all new to me. <laughs> Besides the Hedge Knight, of course, which we read together for this show. We did last year. So if any of you are new listeners that are interested in that, we did get in, into it and we had a blast. I just love the Tales of Duncan Egg. And I think that we, we've made that clear to all of you who listen and have been listening for a while. But this is this is something to get excited about because it, it means that there's more attention being put on the, the, the fully realized world of A Song of Ice and Fire. And I think that that's just good in general for for 
the future of this particular series on HBO, mm-hmm. but also yeah. for the future of what could possibly happen with uh, media and A Song of Ice and Fire. So high five yeah. to everyone involved. And now do both of you guys have the uh, the Worlds of Westeros book as well? The one that um, has all the backstories of like all the families. I do. Micah, do you, have you had a chance to browse through it? I know that was kind of, it's not new, but it was recently released. Talking about a world of ice and fire, yeah, yeah. It's it's going to take me a while to go through it. Uh, there's just a ton of information, and you know, I, I feel like I need a a big stack of post its uh, as <laughs> I, I go through because I, I would never, I would never, you know, highlight um, a book like that. Oh, but right. Just in terms of uh, you know being able to capture all the information, I'm sure there's a lot of interesting uh, nuggets that are that are in there that uh, could very well tie into things that we're reading now, things that we've yet to read, and you know, certainly will influence events that we've yet to experience. So uh, there's just so much history there, as the title obviously uh, lends itself to that. But yep. uh, I would encourage, you know, if people can go out and, and get it to do so, because you really get exposed to the, the rich history of all of the families uh, that we have come to know, and then even some that uh, you know are are less mentioned. Um, but uh, you know, I I just sat there and and spent a lot of time looking, particularly at the different cities, uh, especially those out east. Yeah, Eric and I did that before as well. You remember that? <laughs> we were like, "What is this, Carcosa? Carcosa. There was one that was like the thousand uh, winged men. Yeah, the, 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 the yes, cliff of a thousand wings, or something like that. I wish we had the maps in front of us. I, I know, I'm, but I, I, I have them. They're just on the other side of the room, but they're not. See, this is my kind of conversation, guys. Micah, you talked about post its, and I was, I was just in my head the study, not just the enjoyment of this, but the study is. I'm a, I'm a reader, and I really like. This is what excites me. I'm like, okay, let's, let's, let's get the post it notes out. Let's let's make some bullet points. Let's start cataloging we our need different knowledge colored pens of the subject. Different colored yeah, pens we'll get for different what type of information. We're, yeah, and we'll get those maps that Eric has. We'll yeah. we'll hang them up on all of his walls. We'll get thumbtacks and we'll draw strings uh, and we'll get certain colors of strings depending on which of our characters went where. And we'll do our best to coordinate it with their their houses. And uh, just just go on from there. You you know what though, like even even though these books, which are uh, supplemental, although you can also say that they do inform future events as well that that we haven't yet obviously read about because mm-hmm. the books don't exist. There is still a bit of this. I mean, these books, the, the books themselves are rich. The the Game of Thrones books are rich with backstory as well. And reading a chapter is like a small sample of you know, what is, what is in that huge, obviously that huge book. But even in, in just some of the chapters that we read about today, I learned about places I didn't know existed or, you know, haven't heard about in a while. For instance, Starfall. I hear a lot about right. Starfall in the Arya chapter in particular. It's all just a, a rich, rich world. And they talk about, uh, speaking of, uh, you know, uh, Duncan Egg, whenever they talk about like an old tourney, an old famous tourney, I just assume it's the one from the Hedge Knight. Oh, yeah. Um, but there were obviously quite a few since then, to, to say the very least. Yeah. Um, particularly Definitely. the one during the False Spring, uh, which was referenced in the Danny chapter. I noticed uh, doing that um, for our Patreon today. 
that that particular tourney might be one to look out for uh, for in terms of relevance. And since we're on the subject of companion books to the series, I know that we mentioned that I'm working on the Game of Thrones compendium with HBO. How when did we mention that? That was back in December, correct? I think it was when it was announced, like when we first announced it, when it was publicly announced, like when the website came up. A big thanks to all of you out there who have been submitting and who have been a part of this process. And I wanted to show you guys something. During the curation process, I have come across a submission that particularly blew my mind, and I thought that you guys would appreciate it. Um, you see that link? Do you see yeah. it? Did you oh, click through? Do, do I see it? I can't right? see it. This is uh, from door to the wall. It's a handmade Westeros tabletop posted by The Storm. And this is a stained and deliciously attractive-looking birch and pine uh, solid wood tabletop that has been carved meticulously to match the topography and just in general the geometry of the world of Westeros. It's amazing. It's got to weigh so much. Actually, oh, it weighs seventy pounds. Wow. I'm looking <laughs> at this. Yeah, it's it's three yeah, that three feet by is pretty six impressive. Feet, two inches thick. They're two and a half inches thick. Just looking at this, man, this is something that I would want in my home to eat off of. Anyway, so we'll link this up in the show notes. This was just something that I, I found interesting, and I thought that some of you guys out there would get a kick out of. Okay. It's it's super funny because uh, if you actually use this as a functional table, which why the hell would you, right? It's got to be decorative. Um, but if you eat off of it, it's like somebody, uh, depending on where they're sitting, then <laughs> they have room for their plate and stuff or not because some of it's like the topography is like the ocean so mm-hmm. it's all crooked and diagonal and shit <laughs> just like oh it's not practical to eat off of that's why stannis Baratheon plans wars on it i would just sip my cup atop blackwater bay i think and just be merry about that your cup and just have it be <laughs> like a, mail- wine. A, a merry sailing cup Sounds I would good. probably get out with the little risk pieces, little pieces from risk. It is very cool. And, and I think it just shows the amazing abilities of a lot of fans that are out there. The amount of time and effort that they has to go into creating something like this is unbelievable. Absolutely. And, and honestly, that's why I'm most excited to be involved with the project. This is a community-based initiative. And uh, obviously, that's what we're all about. That's what we've been doing for all these years. And that's what we'll continue to support. So high five to everyone that is helping uh, create this piece of history in our little mm-hmm. our little fandom. Um, and high five to everyone else just for listening and being alive. It's cool. You know who I'm not going to give a high five to? Who? who? David Benioff. Why? Michael? Or D.B. Weiss. Why? One other piece of uh, information that we received uh, during our little break was that uh, there may be some deaths in season five that aren't in the books. Quoting from George R. R. Martin. This is really when you need Kate right now, so you guys can be (laughs) called together. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, He had this to say. uh, People are going to die who don't die in the books, so even the book readers will be unhappy. So everybody (laughs) better be on their toes. I respect that man so much. Uh, So everybody better be on their toes. David and D.B., are even bloodier than I am. <laughs> Ooh, that's one way of of saying it. Those are those are grave words. I mean, that's those are also strong words coming from one of the masters of of pain so far that I've met. Yeah, but like they're 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 condensing, right? This has to happen. This is this to me seems like we already knew that this, it's already happened at least a couple times on the show, right? Like uh, Rob's wife, for instance, didn't die in the books. 
but she died. She on the also show. wasn't a character, though. That, well, that, yeah, it's just a different person entirely. Yeah. Okay. Well, M- Micah, riddle me this: what are you What are you worried about the most? Are you? Yeah. Like, do you believe that he's speaking primarily of deaths that haven't occurred in the books yet, or deaths that will not happen in the books? People that will not yeah, die in the books question. may die in the show. Yeah, I think it's a great question. I I think you could look at it either way, right? Because he could be talking about those who have not died up until this point. So then you're going to be wondering as a book reader, if you see somebody die on screen who you know is still alive in the books, does that in fact mean that they're doomed later on in the series and yeah. the writers just needed to write them off at this point? Or is it a situation where these characters are going to survive till the end and the writers just decided that it would be easier to kill them so that they don't have to deal with their plot moving forward. The one thing I think that you're going to know based on these deaths is that they're not essential to the end game. Right. Right. I think as a book reader, that's going to piss you off. Hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. I would be, uh, if I were in your shoes right now, Micah, I would be handling this a lot worse. So it's probably best for my, my personal feelings and, and for the, for the listeners out there that when we started this show, uh, for some reason I went the unsullied route, so that yeah. would be not okay with me. But at the same time, they've they've made it very clear, and especially George, he's he's been supporting it recently in the news, just the notion of, and these are two very separate entities, and I know we've spoken about it before, but I think now is the time as we approach, in full reality, approach season five, some yeah. something like 50 days now, we're just going to all have to accept together that these are two separate things. This is the television series of Game of Thrones, that they're doing their very best to make into a massive success on television. And that's mm-hmm. going to take planning. It's going to take strategic movings of plot pieces. And in general, it may upset some of us in a handful of different ways for a handful of different reasons. But I think it, it bodes well for the genre at all being captured in the mainstream. And I think that overarchingly is going to be a positive outcome for all of us people. When I say us people, I mean us and I mean those of you listening and those of your friends that you know maybe would listen or just people in general that fit into this category of the kind of people that would be excited about a fantasy series being adapted to television the right way. I think this will be a positive outcome in general. Yeah, living in the generation that we do growing up uh, as we all did, we're no stranger to adaptations um, I don't want to say missing the mark, but you know, not not <laughs> Go being ahead and able say it, to. Actually. Go ahead. No, no, I won't. I, I refuse. But but you know, we're familiar with the notion that uh, a book cannot be successfully or 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 completely adapted, completely faithfully as it appears on the page to a film. They're different mediums. This is the other thing. Hundred other reasons. But I think we're just. What I mean to say is that we're familiar with the idea that they are separate entities. And this, uh, you know, coming from season one, which was almost page for page, uh, out of you know a Game of Thrones. Uh, you know, moving onwards to the seasons as we did, uh, during this podcast, going through and figuring out, well, okay, they're actually slowly beginning to diverge. Um, and then now going into season five, where it looks like things are completely different and you get George R. R. Martin saying, you know, characters are dying that haven't yet in the books and the books are way ahead, presumably. Um, it, it's just, it's just more of this same trend that I think we've really been prepared for. Uh, so far, I think that that is, I don't know, it's, it's kind of shocking, but it's not 
at all that shocking if you think about this is just kind of the inevitable where the show is going because the show is also going to we really feel like it's going to end sooner than the the books will be published. I think that that was another little bit of news, just that there's no new book this year. I mean, it it's an inevitability that they're going to have to start trimming subplots, of which there are so many, and trimming characters, of which there are so many, just in order to get to eventually what ends up being the endgame, which I think will be the characters that are most important doing what is most important from the series. And you'll, you'll there will still be some enjoyment to be had from reading the books and reading just how complex a tale George can weave. Because honestly, when I find out about Starfall, I want to know everything about it. And right. it's not ever going to have a place on TV, but it just got a, a cool name. It's got some cool people and the Danes and stuff who hang around there. And it's just like, I want to know more about it. And so I will be reading the books long after uh, the series is over, yeah, I'm sure. Exactly. And- that that's the key, man. That's that's such a good point. This is a true epic, and as much as I love the television series, and I think that they're doing an outstanding job, and they're years ahead of of where the rest of television is. In some ways, they're years ahead of where lots of blockbuster films are. Mm-hmm. Um, this is going to be a, a bar that is set, and that's going to say a lot of things for the, for the the tone of this industry. But to get to the to the important meat of the issue is that we have we have to just. We have to we have to understand that this is a true epic, and it's it's going to far surpass the show in our minds. When we reach the end of this tale, and George weaves the masterful ending that I'm sure we're all expecting, we're we're, we're going to collectively be be blown away um, as a group all together. And it's it's not going to. I I hope that it won't be tarnished. And I just you know I don't know how the the show and the book will affect each other in this light. But I think Mm -hmm. since this is the first time it's really happened to any of us in this way, our best preparation is to go into it uh, with the most positive attitude that we, that we can have. Yeah. David and Dan are not going to all of a sudden start sucking at adaptation. They're, they're, they're not going to, they're going to tell, I believe as Zach was saying earlier, a compelling story that is, that fits the medium that fits TV and is going to be successful. Um, watching that, uh, day in the life documentary that aired recently, mm-hmm. I just, again, was reassured that there are so many people working on this show that have quality as their number one priority and have the capability, the intelligence, the coordination to do something like this and put it on TV. So the show will remain extremely impressive and we're just going to have to be a little schizo readers, especially, you know, in terms of, you know, have this separate uh, world develop as to what might happen. Anything, it's it's almost like saying whatever's in the show is, is fair game, but it's still, it's influenced by George R. R. Martin's works. And George R. R. Martin has signed off and said, you guys can do this. And they, the big, the world's biggest fans of his works are making this show. So it's in the end, it's not going to be too... It, it, by saying it's different, it's not going to be like drastically more sucky than the I th- book. I think it's ongoing debate, though. I, I think we could talk about this for as long as we want because it it just we don't I know. Feel, <laughs> yeah, it's it, never happened. To your point, if George R. R. Martin feels comfortable with it, then I think we all have to be comfortable with it at the end of the day because. It's his work. It, he's created it, and if and if he feels good about what's taking place, then 
I don't think it's on any of us to debate that fact. Look, and knowing him, he's going to have a, a, a certain dozen or two wallops to pack that will never make it into the show. Oh, I'm sure there are plenty. I mean, we, we have one just in this chapter that, that, that we're about to get into that never True. made it to the show or has not yet made it to the show. Ooh, I'm uh, excited. At, at, at least one, I would say. Uh, there could be more, and, and even in the next chapter – um, there are things that don't make their way to the show, but I, you know, I, I am a reader who feels strongly that I don't want to see how this all ends on screen before I read it in a book. And I, and if, and if I were the author and I'm definitely not in this situation, but I would be worried, you know, I've spent my life writing these books to have it end up on the screen before it ends up at written form. There's there's a little bit something wrong with that, in my opinion. Uh, but again, it's his choice at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's where this is all interesting. And I think we, we spoke about it um, during our show at LeakyCon this year, or last year now. Wow. That's kind of scary. Yeah. Uh, oh, geez. I'm not comfortable with the new year yet. <laughs> <laughs> we are, are approaching a landscape that has yet to be approached. And it's exciting because we're all living in it. Those of you listening, we're at the front lines. And... Uh, we don't know what's going to happen, but I feel like since it's happening, like I said before, we'll go into it together, hands held, our heads held high, and it'll it'll happen. And it'll, it'll unfold, and, and we'll take it as it comes. That's just this. That's all we can do. I feel like if George has trusted um, the crew and the cast to pull off his grand tale, then we should also. And let's take solace in the fact that these are the right people. To set the bar, these are the people that are putting more love and care into a project for television that I've ever seen happen, and that's that's saying something. When when you can really see the difference between shows in general, if we just limit it to one field of creativity, you can see the difference and output when people are involved care this much. And so we're in the best place we could be, I think. And that's a good fact to be at. And let's just celebrate that. Yeah. From here on out, we're going to get two different, you know, paths. It's like the ability to see into alternate universes. It's going to be pretty exciting, I think. And it could be maybe not that different. You know, it could just be a death or two, which may have larger (laughs) implications. What uh, In this chapter, we find out what Balan Greyjoy died, right? I mean, in the first Arya chapter, doesn't the... uh, doesn't the gray-haired woman say something like that? So, and he's still alive on the show, right? Am I right? I mean, I guess we can go ahead and move into the first chapter um, because uh, that's what we're actually supposed to be doing today. Yeah. We're talking about uh, the eighth chapter of Arya in A Storm of Swords and Jamie's sixth chapter. Mm-hmm. And in this chapter, Arya returns to High Heart. High Heart. Ominous music. <laughs> we don't have enough Patreon supporters to that yet. There's a sense. <laughs> <laughs> well, Eric, to your point, um, we do learn that Balin Greyjoy has died. Uh, I don't think it's been explicitly stated in the show yet. Uh, you know, it, and I think we talked about this on a previous episode where, you know, there, or, or actually we talked about it on the spoiler episode, which we can now. Did at you? Least, yes. Uh. We can lend a little bit of, light to that because we mentioned the fact that it, it hadn't been stated explicitly in the show that Bale and Greyjoy had died yet. But now that we've read the book, we've read the chapter, we know he's dead. Um, we, we said that it's possible that, uh, it could be mentioned in passing. I think somebody had, had thrown us an email which had the question about, 
um, the Greyjoys in general. And, you know, we touched on Balin. Um, I think it's something that'll come up this season, but I think it'll be more mentioned in passing than anything else. Are I don't think sure? you'll actually see it happen. Hmm. I mean, can we pour one out for Balin Greyjoy right now? Yeah, let's, he's officially dead as of the what's, book. What's interesting, though, is that we learn yes. of his death before Joffrey, before Rob, uh, and you know we we remember the the leech scene right where, yeah. where Melisandre burns all the leeches yeah and uh, now at least uh, one of these kings is dead well well Renly's already dead but yeah um, of course uh, now Balin is dead as well, well I I just think obviously they're doing something <sighs> way way different with Theon and how they're managing Balon um, getting that letter from the Bastard Bolton unit this either. I mean, it would have had to have already occurred for it to have happened because Balon in the books is dead. So I wonder mm-hmm. how it's going to be. Di- I wonder how the Theon subplot is going to be different um, in the books when we eventually get to that part in the books. I don't know how much it impacts Theon. I think you also have to remember that he was, you know, king of the Iron Islands, right? Right, and yeah, he has family that are going to look to take over his seat. And that's a whole other plot that we'll get to uh, that I don't think is going to get much attention in the show, mm-hmm. uh, but we'll see as time goes on. I, I just wanted to go back to the first time we were at High Heart yes. uh, and we met with this woman. She said, I dreamt of a man without a face waiting on a bridge that swayed and swung. On his shoulder perched a drowned crow with seaweed hanging from his wings. I think this uh, was you know, an allusion to... The death of Balin Greyjoy, uh, but a so drowned he was killed crow? by a faceless assassin. Oh shit! Oh, oh shit! What about the now crow that makes part? sense? What well, the, the crow, crow maybe the fact that it was dead, maybe it, with seaweed on its wings, maybe it, it was just bringing tidings of death. Uh, maybe the guy was hired via via crow, via raven. Maybe Ben, maybe uh, what was it? Uh, yeah, Benjamin Stark, <laughs> north of the wall, hired a faceless assassin to kill Balin Greyjoy. Who knows? I don't know. Possibilities are endless. Shall I read this? Uh, her current prophecy. Now that we're with her again. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Did Please you have do. more yeah, yeah. more to say, Micah, on that? Go ahead. Well, I'm going to preface this conversation, even though we're a third into it, it seems, uh, with the the words of this kind, kind olden lady who wants nothing but a kiss and a bit of wine. <laughs> she says, <laughs> she says, sour wine for sour tidings. What could be more fitting? The king is dead. Is that sour enough for you? Arya's heart caught in her throat, and then says, Which bloody king is dead, crone? She says, The wet one, the kraken king, my lords. I dreamt him dead, and he died, and the iron squids now turn on one another. Okay, so they're fighting. And then she goes on to say, Oh, and Lord Hoster Tully's dead too, but you know that, don't you? In the Hall of Kings, the goat sits alone, and fevered as the great dog descends on him. The old woman took another long gulp of wine, squeezing the skin, and she raised it to her lips. Let me just put a sidebar here and say wine skins are pretty cool. Wine anyway, skins are cool. They are pretty damn cool. The great dog. Does she mean the hound or maybe his brother? And so there's a bit of uh, Arya trying to figure out who the great dog is in her mind. And the, the lady goes on to say, I dreamt a wolf howling in the rain, but no one heard his grief. I dreamt such a clangor I thought my head might burst. Drums and horns and pipes and screams. <laughs> but the saddest sound was the little bells. I dreamt of a maid at a feast with purple serpents in her hair, venom dripping from their fangs. And later I dreamt that maid again, slaying a savage giant in a castle built of snow. Oh, a snow castle. 
She turned her head sharply and smiled through the gloom right at Arya. You cannot hide from me, child. Come closer <laughs> that was now. creepy as hell. Okay, can I just say, did you imagine her head spinning like a 180 when she said that? Like, Arya's hiding behind. I just like, did now. Thanks for that. Yeah, terrible. Terrifying, I mean, to say. There's a lot of substance there, fellas. A lot. Some of it hasn't happened yet. And I'm going to need deli- hours of deliberation. Um, we, we read our chapters directly before recording, so we haven't had time to to shore stuff out this is like our, our first take on the matter but luckily there's a uh a micah tannenbaum in our midst that can that can usually uh keep yeah, us yeah micah keep us tell in the us right about mind. this purple woman with serpents in her hair tell us tell us about that unless you can't well look do we want to base it off what we've seen in the show already sure i don't know <laughs> well where where do you want to start you want to start at the maid with purple serpents in her hair yeah, I'm I'm actually really most curious about that. All right. Well, we know that Sansa receives a hairnet from Sir Dantos uh that she wears to the wedding uh, of Joffrey. And we know that oh, damn. I forgot what is it, I in forgot that it was hairnet a hairnet is responsible for poisoning Joffrey, so I would say that that is what that is related to. Poisonous hairnet. I That's forgot a it very was... particular dream. Yeah, okay. that's a very well, yeah. I mean, it is. Because, yeah, that's very particular. Serpents in her hair. Oh, so it's like snake venom. Wait, was it Tears of Lease? What was the specific poison that was stated? It was the Tears of Lease, right? Wasn't it the Strangler? Oh, oh, it was the Strangler, wasn't it? Yeah. Is that made from snake venom? I don't know. Anyway, okay. So Either it's way, super it's po- poison. Super poetic. Uh, Yeah, okay. Serpents in her hair. Got it. Got it. Forgot about Sansa. But then it goes on to say that later that made again slaying a savage giant in a castle built of snow. Mm, okay. <laughs> Holy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about that. Hmm. Once winter comes, all castles will be covered with snow. That's true. Or she could just take a big old trip to the Ice Palace that we learned about um, during yeah. the past season. And she could go take down a giant. Yeah, but doesn't isn't there a scene in um, at the Eyrie? Uh, we see her and Robert Aaron with this snow building. castle. Uh, well, yeah, they that uh, Sansa builds that castle of snow, which is it's a replica of Winterfell, mm-hmm. and uh, we know that Robert is the one who destroys it uh, in the sh- in the show. But mm. I'm trying to remember exactly. Uh, if, if this could tie in in any way, or if it has more meaning. Interesting. I mean, he would be very giant compared to the size of her built-to-scale model of Winterfell. So, <laughs> well, there's, there's, there's also the idea that giant in size manifested in the dream could actually just be giant in power in real life. So like Baelish, like her overcoming Baelish, who's, right. who like, uh, was it, like broods over her, but like has this control over her, at least as if we've seen in... Um, Although I guess in the show they're kind of working together now, but we'll see. I just feel like I feel like there's such a particular. Let's just I dreamt of a maid at a feast with purple serpents in her hair. Okay, but like that is just that is just very particular. Literally, I mean the hairnet that is the hairpiece that is very particular. Yeah, I just when I, when I was talking about the um, the castle being destroyed, right? I'm sorry, it's not a castle; it's a giant being destroyed, right? With, yeah, with, within the snow castle, mm-hmm. it just. I don't feel like that is worthy enough uh, to be included in a prophecy like this. You know, it's it's kind of like a one-off. Sansa builds this castle, and and Robert throws a tantrum, and you know, I I just don't. I feel like anything that's included in this woman's prophecies has a much deeper meaning than that. I think so too. That's why I can't 
for the life of me think that it's about the snow castle she built at the Erie. <laughs> you know? I like that theory, though. <laughs> I do, too, I'm because she did. It, it was literally built of snow. So, I um, don't know. Well, there, there's that uh, Danny's vision that, that she had in the House of the Dying in, in the show anyway, too, where the uh, ceiling is caved in um, mm-hmm. uh, in the uh, throne room. Or the ashes falling uh, or whatever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I guess it's ash, not snow. I think. Yeah. That. I. I always think it's snow, and somebody rightly points out, no, it's ash from probably from her dragons. But uh, yeah, this this woman here also talking about this wolf howling in the rain, but no one heard its grief. Just makes me think of obviously what's supposed to be very pending now, very imminent, is Rob's demise, and I wonder if it means Rob. I wonder if this is yet another um, hint at the the Red Wedding or the fact that Rob's fortune is going to continue to fail him. Mm. It, it reminded me a lot of uh, Grey Wind in that scene, howling, but nobody would you know, kind of answer his call. You remember that scene? Right. That's sad. Just outside of uh, the twins. Well, there's that. I was also, although now that you say it, when Bran was in a coma, um, and his direwolf was howling as well. Mm-hmm. I just thought of that. It was just so very sad. Catelyn couldn't get that howl out of out of her mind. At this point, you know, we've all seen the Red Wedding take place on the show, so I think it's it's fair to draw, you know, connections between what she's saying here and what we know to have happened. Um, so if if it were up to me, my guess would be that it's. It's great win. You know, she, uh, this woman too, and I know we actually, Arya, um, has this great conversation with, uh, Thoros of Mir, um, in the beginning, and he's talking about looking into the flames and seeing things. And this woman, it's said in this chapter, has a different way of seeing things. And this is just kind of cool because you're, you're getting these characters who have these visions, but they're, they're still very different. And like this chapter, and I know the next one too with Jamie is all about, choosing to act on these visions that you're having. And it just it's it's interesting because for me it felt the the whole idea of a vision quest and this whole idea of these um additional super extra powers in the world that are giving these people these visions. It just it's so common now at this point in the books where we're just like, oh yeah, Jamie saw a vision, he's gonna act on it. Or oh yeah, this woman shows up, nobody knows how old she is exactly. And she has these dreams, and they're all extremely relevant to what's about to happen in this world. And it's just like, oh, yeah, this is – I mean, but that that makes up this chapter in addition to, obviously, the young boy Ned and some other stuff. It's all about the these powers that are giving these uh, characters some insight. And I don't know. It just – I really like that magic is back. I know I say that all the time, but I love that magic is so present in these people's lives. And yet it's still it still manages to be this – you know, tense political maneuver um, from all these different families at a time of war. So what did you guys think about how the dwarf woman felt of Arya? She she reacted a little sharply. She goes, I see you. She's like, I see you, wolf child. <laughs> and she's like, I thought it was the Lord who smelled of death, but actually it was you. And That's she was weird. she was calling her cruel for going there. Yeah. She's like, I gorged on grief at Summerhall. And I need none of yours. She calls her dark heart and tells her to be gone. Little Arya. Dark heart. It's, it's a little, a little, mm. over, a little bit of an overreaction. Maybe, maybe yeah, she, she sees what Arya will become. Uh, maybe. What a cold-blooded killer! She calls her blood child. That's weird. It's like, I don't know, <laughs> blood, blood child. What kind of a, what? What does that denote? 
really. What I'm is sure that? But yeah, she reacts oddly to Arya and um, just accusing her of being cruel for coming there. Yeah. It's weird because you just feel like all this time, you, well, obviously the Stark children we now have a higher power associated with them. Uh, I think she calls her wolf child at one point too um, because of their connection with the wolf and their connection specifically with their dire wolves. And uh, it's, it's weird to see kind of uh, to pit these magics against each other. Um, the idea that this woman does not really like Arya, whether it's for what she's about to become or whether it's for like the, the nature of her being the driving force is like somehow in yeah. conflict with her driving force. That's allowed her to be so sneaky and weird. Like all these the grief years. she carries. Maybe she feels the grief that Arya carries. Maybe there's yeah. that too. Or maybe like the grief that she will you're carry. Super, you're super depressed. I'm going to call you names and tell you no, you're No, hold on here. a second though. There's, <laughs> there's another moment later on in the chapter um, where she is going through and talking about all the people that she's killed. Yeah. You know, she's a very young girl. She's, she's still, you know, not even a teenager. And she says, you know, the, the passage is this. Arya was remembering the stable boy at King's Landing. After him, there'd been that guard whose throat she cut at Harrenhal. And Sir Amory's men at that holdfast by the lake. She didn't know if Weiss and Chiswick counted, or the ones who died on account of the weasel soup. All of a sudden, she felt very sad. And so, is it really that odd that this woman would look at her that way? We know that Arya, really, from early on, has always wanted to be a swordswoman, right? She, and, and she befriends somebody like Jack and Hygar, who is a faceless assassin. Yeah. Uh, she's been responsible for countless deaths, maybe not major deaths, but count, you know, quite a few already, mm -hmm. uh, in this series. I won't say countless. That's a little bit, that's too much, but, you know, uh, and we don't know what's to, to become of her. She sailed off to Bravos at the end of last season. And, uh, what do we think she's going to do over there? I mean, I think she's going to go through, uh, training montage and come out on the other side swinging. <laughs> she's going to, it's going to be like Rocky. I think they're going to have Eye of the Tiger playing when she does it. I'm not sure. Yeah, no, I, th I think she is headed down a path of darkness, though. I mean, she's I, w I would argue she's had to kill to survive, and so does everybody else in that whole world. But thinking about what you just said, Micah, if this woman is inclined, if she doesn't agree with Arya because Arya's killed so many people, uh, then this woman values life in a religious way. And that gives a little, that would give, that would seem to me to give a little bit of insight into who she is. Um, you know, it is said that the weirwoods whisper in her ears. So she's like of the, the, uh, if the green sight or the green thing is, has to do with where weirwoods as well. Uh, she is, you know, in communion with these trees that have lived for centuries since the first men and this, that, the other thing. So I can see how she would, uh, scorn death because she, the people that, the the magic um that she is familiar with is pretty pretty much grants like eternal it's all about the all knowing and all about the eternal does that make sense yeah she's she's a person from a different age essentially a different age of of this place and with her she carries the knowledge and the uh the deference and just in general the uh the nature of having of having been there and having seen the change of what it is now and and she can understand what is coming and it's it's just it's fun to meet people like this because it gives depth to the story and it gives uh more importantly just depth to the geography yeah just allowing us to know that there's so much more 
that's there, it's so Tolkien in this sense. Whereas the, the, the Lord of the Rings trilogy was the story of the fall of magic in the world of Middle Earth mm-hmm. and the rise of mankind mm-hmm. and the ushering of that age into a new age and it kind of ending in, in a grandiose way. This is uh, appearing to be a story of of a place that had magic and it kind of went away for a while but now it's about to return and i think too this quote from her could be looked at as having a bit of a double meaning because uh you know when she says i thought it was the lord who smelled of death but you have to remember that aria's lost her father she's about to lose her mother and her brother both her other brothers, Bran and Rickon, are believed to be dead. So perhaps she smells of death because her family is dead or dying. Yeah. So it, you know, it may not just be the fact that she has killed right. uh, a handful of people or she is, has the potential to become this assassin later on in her life um, that undoubtedly would look to seek revenge for everything that's been done to her. But uh, you know, when, when you see that uh, this woman says later on, I gorged on grief at Summer Hall. I need none of yours. You know, there is a lot of grief that Arya has endured and will continue to endure. So, you know, perhaps there's more than just one meaning here. Interestingly, this woman also tells these men where to go for Arya. They're like, yeah, we're going to take her to River Run to her mom. And she says, uh, nigh, you're not. <laughs> uh, she tells them that Brendan the Blackfish is in charge, although she just calls him the Blackfish. Um, not Blackfish as in the name, just she probably just sees him in her dreams as a black fish, if we're being honest here. Um, if it's the mother you want, this is a quote, seek her at the twins for there's to be a wedding. She cackled again. I like weddings. Yeah, she basically, like, she is controlling their journey. Um, she, for how much she appears to not like Arya, uh, she tells her where to go to be reunited with her mother. Not that she tells her that she will be, but that's just, that's just, she says, that's where your mother's going. And also she tells Thoros, um, why he's not seeing anything in the flames. It's because this place is sacred to the old gods still. So she's pretty helpful. She's pretty agreeable. Like these, these guys, of course she's trading with them. She wants a kiss and she gets a song, but, uh, you mm-hmm. know, she, she's not altogether as creepy as she, or as, as ominously as she behaves. Uh, it's, it's, important i think or likable that her character um has some good qualities that she's so down to earth you know yeah right for being like as old as she is yeah like a tree i think it's worth mentioning that in most chapters with the brotherhood without manners this this chapter is littered with uh really solid humor it starts out with a little banding back and forth between Gendry and Thoros about where Gendry <laughs> used to work and about how Thoros used to pay way too much for his swords and about how Gendry's master used to give him shit for burning his swords. And he was basically like, oh, I paid extra for him. I know it's not good for him. I'm going to burn him anyway. And he, he just goes into, uh, it's just a nice back and forth. And you get so much more uh, perspective on these people as it continues, uh, I feel like it's kind of the same subjects that have been visited beforehand, but mm. we're getting more personality, and we're, you could tell that all these people are so much more vulnerable 
with each other. And and you see that as the chapter progresses and the different kinds of conversations that take place. Can I just say, what a damn killjoy Beric Dondarrion is. He walks up behind Gendry and Thoros and uh, I think to some extent Arya are having some fun talking about the burned swords. And Beric just looms behind them and comes oh, and yeah. says, fire consumes. <laughs> it consumes. And when it is done, there is nothing left. Nothing. And like later he gets on Thoros' shit. He's like, six times, man. Six times. Ah. Six times is too many, and he runs away. It's just like, dude, what's eating him? You know. Well, I think that's it's clear when he says that. I, I didn't take his six times as him like as him berating him. I, I took it as him kind of like looking off in the distance a bit, going six times, six times is too many. Yeah, you like, know? I, yeah like, like I, I can't believe he's we did feeling this. it. Or no, he's feeling it. He's feeling oh. the effects of, of of being brought back. And I oh, think that. Yeah, yeah. It could have something to do with how he's behaving and, you know, his, you know, how we learned in the past that his memories, his memories faltering and a lot of different ways. I wonder ways. if it's this place that's affecting him. I know it's mm-hmm. like a different magic. I don't know. It's interesting. It seems like he knows that his time is coming though. Yeah. Don't you feel that? Yeah. It, I would just, say, I would say that he is becoming more ominous than usual. Yeah. And knowing that he's died so many times already, perhaps he has a closer connection with death and so can sense it a little bit more than others he's just very resentful he's like five times was okay but six six is too bad. <laughs> you know like like fire consumes all he just feels all consumed this is mm-hmm. his extension this is the extension of the conversation from the previous aria chapter um where he did like you said Micah, he explains that he feels like he's slowly losing i mean not just his memory but a part like well, yeah, his memory, who who he is. He's lo- he's losing who he is, becoming someone else entirely, or less of something. Going back to what Zach said, too, uh, touching on Thoros, I like the backstory. Uh, you know, he tells about yeah. his childhood. He was the youngest of eight. He was given over to the Red Temple, but it wasn't necessarily the path he would have chosen. You know, he was kind of a bit of a. Uh, Deviant child, though he was mm-hmm. like, I would raid the kitchens. Rogue. I would, uh, you Sleep know, play girls. around with the girls. And uh, I liked how right after that, George uh, dropped the line. I had a gift for tongues, though, and I just thought that that had a double meaning. <laughs> I thought he was talking about how good he was at. Talking. Yeah, that's what I thought. No, I thought about how good he was with the girls. Jeez, oh, uh, but uh, yeah, he found his way to King's Landing, and. Uh, King Eris didn't have much love for him, but uh, Robert did. Robert sure and did. Uh, we've we've heard a lot of good stories about these two. They were great uh, drinking buddies. They were good drinking buddies. They were great companions. They were brave companions, Man. I would say. Yeah. They were. It's just leave it to Robert. Like, Robert just finds this guy amusing and keeps him around because of that. Robert had good taste in people. Like, honestly. this guy, for all intents and purposes, was a fraud or... Close to before his recent, you know, uh, well, path. But think about the rest of them, the High Septon. Oh yeah. Well, there's that. There is question as to how um, accomplished they are, how legit they are. Let's uh, let's jump a little bit further into this chapter. Uh, we also learn John, who Jon Snow's mother is, right? Uh, Apparently, allegedly. <laughs> I would this be willing chapter, to say, guys. This little Ned character, this squire named Ned, it's just, it's funny because George waited to play this card of somebody else in this entire world named Ned. Not that he repeats names, but it's just like, it sparks this discussion between Arya and this Ned character about her father 
And that leads into the Danes and how this boy's, was it his aunt? Um, or no, his wet nurse, uh, was also Jon Snow's wet nurse or rather mother. So I don't know. It's, it, I, I like it all just felt like it flowed and it felt really special. And the fact that Arya's chatting with somebody named Ned really made my, really warmed my heart. Yeah. It was, it was nice. We, we learned that, uh, Willa, whoever Willa is, Willa. Uh, to, to, to his knowledge, his being Sir Neddard. Uh, I don't want to say Sir. I guess it would be Lord Nedrick Dane. Um, Nedrick. He, <laughs> <laughs> he, he he's a lord, and they're having lordly conversationing. And Gendry is not a fan of it. Can I just say how how weird is this though? Right, you have the daughter of Ned Stark. Right, you have Edric Dane, the Lord of Starfall, and you have Gendry, who is the son of Robert Baratheon, all <laughs> right. just kind of like walking down the road on their horses together, uh, yeah, getting getting under each other's skin, throwing apples at each other. Oh yeah, Gendry deserved that shit. I mean, that's weird, isn't it? Like, yeah, it's, it's weird. I have. I, it reminds me of the nostalgia we have for things like the Great Tournament and Harrenhal, where all of these wonderful people were together. When yeah. in reality, folks, we have that on a level times 10 with all of these chapters we have some truly great and people that will be legendary in the annals of history in this 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 made up world one day if it all succeeds and the ice doesn't destroy everyone yeah and it's happening right now just like mike has said and and they're they're getting mad at each other and uh the the daughter of ned stark who will go on to do god knows uh is throwing a crab apple at robert's son and that's just it's just cool you know <laughs> And Robert it's doesn't fun. know, or, or Gendry still doesn't know that Robert was his dad. He, he says that he never met his dad, and that the closest thing he ever got was his mom saying, "If your father were here," <laughs> yeah. uh, which is awesome that her like his mom just lorded that over him. <laughs> that might be an own, but it's too soon for those. But still, like just the idea that uh, that his mom knew who the, who the king would never told him, but was still like trying to use it as a disciplinary thing. <laughs> like your father would. You would be in so much trouble if your father were here. You got to do what you got to do, you know? Yeah. He's, I mean, he's it's not these out-of-control kids. Yeah. yeah. You're right. You're right. The whole Milk Brothers line is funny because he's basically like, yeah, <laughs> me and John, we shared a boob together. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I didn't know that was a thing. Uh, so I'm Milk really Brothers? glad to learn about this. I'm sure that there is there is some some actual text in our real world uh, to I, I back wonder. something like this up. It'd be funny I'm if, sure. I'm sure. Yeah, it'd be funny if you just made it up. <laughs> <laughs> that would be we, funny. I mean, we, you know, we have all these other forms of not incest, right. but like relations with each other. It's like, oh yeah, you know. Well, I guess in what in the time of wet nursing, in the time of you know a woman raising another woman's kids or several women's kids, it would be more common. It might be. A, I don't know. It's interesting. It's cool because these books have these things that just make you think. Um, that it's true. You don't expect for like, oh yeah, Milk Brothers. What does that mean? Oh. You know, it's like his mom was the wet nurse. But, of course, I don't believe this for one second that that is actually... You don't? Who Jon Snow's mom is. No. No. Uh, I don't think so. I don't know what to believe. Because the, the whole the whole premise, I guess, right, is that Ned loved this woman. I just don't think that Jon Snow is even Ned's son. So it's kind of like a moot point. Well, I feel like if, if Ned loved this woman so much, he would have talked to me about her at least a few times. So <laughs> right. I'd never, I've never, I don't, you've never heard of feelings. Me. Yeah. But remember <laughs> Betsy. <laughs> yeah, I do remember Betsy. Yeah, yeah. Betsy was mentioned at least once or twice, but, uh, but Willa, I don't know. Willa, I don't know. But, uh, Edric Dane, good egg. 
He's the the son of Arthur Dane, who is the Sword of the Morning's older brother. Yeah. And uh, he's just from a good stock. And he's very polite, and he treats Arya with the utmost respect. And like I said, Gendry wasn't too fond of their conversation. He's like, my lords and ladies, as he uh, discovers. You think he's jealous? Oh, of course, of course. It, we already know that he's not very fond of Edric, and I don't oh. think that... I don't think that the fact that Arya has another highborn to talk to is helping the situation too much. <laughs> another highborn. Yeah. He's, yeah. What did you uh what did you both think though of the story of Ashara Dane and the yeah. fact that she apparently killed herself because uh of Ned? That's interesting. I feel like Ned would carry around a lot of guilt. Uh if that were true. We have a counter argument uh in this chapter, which I believe comes from Thoros, if I'm not mistaken, or Harwin. Oh, no, it's Harwin, who suggests that she killed uh, herself for a different reason. But just thinking about it, you know, we only got a book of being inside Ned's head. And there was a lot of promise me Ned coming from his sister. But we didn't hear about this Lady Ashura that I can recall. Um, And I feel like he, for the moments of self-doubt and self-blame that Ned felt during that first book, I think if if a woman had killed herself because of him, you know, maybe it would have been brought up once or twice. Uh, when he was feeling down. Hmm. I hope that this isn't why she killed herself, but I also just think it's a damn shame that she did in general. I think it's a shame that she leapt into the sea no matter what. Yeah, I mean, I think the story goes that, um, you know, with everything that had happened at the Tower of Joy with the the death of Sir Arthur Dane, right. who is known as the Sword of the Morning, uh, it is Ned who... You know, returns with his sword um, and presents it to the family. And that is, of course, when um, Lady Ashara jumps from the tower. And I think that, you know, hopefully we get a little bit more insight into exactly why this all happened. It's it's interesting to note that her body was never found. Uh, mm. oh. And that, that's always, uh, you know, reason to believe that perhaps somewhere she is still alive. No, um, <laughs> you never know in this series. That's that's all I'm saying. I'm with you. But uh, it's just deeper insight into the rich history of the families that lived in this world and continued to live on in this world and how everybody is, you know, despite being in different geographic locations, so intimately tied together with each other. And, you know, the point I brought up earlier about the fact that you have, you know, the nephew of Sir Arthur Dane riding around with the son of Robert Baratheon and the daughter of Eddard Stark. Right. uh, It's just, uh, it's comical in a way, but... Seems faded. Yeah, it it really does. And so, uh, you know, while, you know, it's all um, up for discussion as to who Jon Snow's real mother is, it would be funny if this were true and it's just kind of a one-off thing as Arya is riding along with um with Edric Dane here and he just happens to know the truth about yeah. millions of people claims, across claims the world the have truth. this mystery in their head and here we are in the Storm of Swords with just the mm-hmm. <laughs> Edric's just like well hey I know who he is yeah, yeah. Is. you didn't know right. that? some some random mass character right the truth. yeah uh but I think, you know, in, in actuality, there, there's really only one person, um, who knows the truth, uh, aside from maybe whatever somebody like Thoros or Melisandre could see in the flames. And that's the only other person that was there that day, you know, with Ned. But, uh, I, I wanted to mention also while they're traveling to, they're relocating, they're getting away from High Heart. 
um, seeking a place with some some better shelter, if I'm remembering that correctly. And, uh, you know, Arya is talking about John When she's talking to Ned, uh, this Ned kid, she remembers John fondly. And it's interesting on one hand because she even, like, considers – she's like, I should just go north of the wall. He would never um, – Give me shit. I'd, I'd be able to do whatever I want north of the wall. Being mm-hmm. with John would be fun. Um, she loves John. It's very clear. She really enjoys the idea of him, misses him. Um, but for like the, it's a catalyst for the conversation to turn dark when she's forced to consider that. Well, well, in fact, that you know John's existence proves that her father's honor is uh, faulty, and her whole her whole thing. The reason that what Ned says upsets her is that she feels that Ned w- w- was such an honorable man. And it's like, she, she likes John. She knows his existence. And at the same time, she's having to cope with this idea that Ned was unfaithful. And actually one of the things that Harwin uh, says when she talks to him to kind of, she's trying to, he's trying to kind of calm her down is by saying that at the time Ned met uh, Ashura, or that this whole thing happened, uh, Ned's brother was still alive and Catelyn was um, betrothed to him. So that it actually right. was not a, uh, a, a breaking of, of a vow that, that caused this uh, to happen. And I don't know. It's kind of like a, a happy ending in a way. Harwin, who we like and don't like throughout these chapters, said something that I think got her a little bit away from the ledge. Not, not to make a terrible suicide joke, but he just talked her down. I just think people need to relax when they're thinking about who Ned slept with or who he didn't sleep with. <laughs> but you he's know? like he's like the definition of honor. It's like in the Westerosian dictionary, you look up honor as see Ned Stark, right? Well, or or vice versa, <laughs> Ned Stark. Or so we're led to believe. I mean. Ned, Ned Stark's in the dictionary, <laughs> and it says see honor. <laughs> so uh, as they do move away from High Heart and relocate, as you mentioned, Thoros is able to get his fire working. Uh, he <laughs> sees some Lannisters uh, descending upon River Run, and no so good. the decision is made, right, uh, not to go there. Uh, and yeah, that uh, you know, not only to not go there, uh, but you know, we know that the woman who they met uh, at High Heart had suggested that they go to the twins, but it doesn't seem like Beric and his crew are that set on going there as well. So they want to kind of wait things out a little bit and see what happens, you know, go back to visit uh, Lady Smallwood and, you know, just kind of wait things out. And Arya's basically said, all right, guys, I've had enough of this. When Thoros is looking into the flames and he says that he sees the Lannisters uh, surrounding River Run, do you think that's literal? Do you think they're going to, uh, like the Lannister army, maybe in, in something that we didn't see in the show, actually surrounds River Run and tries to take it? Or is it figurative because uh, by capturing Edmure at the Twins under, you know, which is really the phrase, but under the Lannisters, you know, alliance, they actually have River Run by the balls. And so that doesn't, they don't actually need to physically take their men to the to River Run. Micah? Read on, my friend. <laughs> Read on. Okay. I, I th- think it's a great point that you raise, though. It uh, is. Because by capturing Edmure uh, at the Red Wedding, uh, they well number one uh, obviously the the phrase now have a direct tie to river run because they've married 
um, into the family, mm-hmm. the Tully family. Yeah. On the chessboard of Westeros, the pieces. Remember, are everything that happens in the show doesn't doesn't happen in the book. So, just to briefly wrap up this chapter, Arya obviously doesn't like the way things are going here. Not a fan. And okay. I, I think the true colors of the Brotherhood really come out here when they're talking about who to ransom her to. Mm. It, it really shows who they are at their very core. You know, at, maybe with the exception of Harwin, uh, they don't see her as anything more than a than a than something to ransom, someone, something to ransom. And uh, you get that when they're talking about, oh, well, will her uncle even know who she is? And uh, you know, we're better off going here or there, but we know. Uh, this scene all too well from the show where she runs off and is captured by the hound. I celebrated it during the Patreon reading. I loved having a at least <laughs> a line or two with Sandor Clegane. That was fun. Yeah. You know, it's it's perfect because he was obviously stalking them like the entire time since he left. And his motives, we know from the show that he's kind of a nicer guy. But Arya's none the wiser. And so she's like legit very afraid right now. I mean, he's mm-hmm. he's still a man that she chants his name, you know, to die, presumably every night uh, before bed, and he just he he he's got her. She has no control. He she's run away. It's raining so hard that they can't hear her scream, and the way it's put, he just he just overpowers her. He doesn't knock her out or anything. She's just that she's unable to escape, and all that's going through her mind is his like one of his questions that he'd asked her which is do you know what dogs do to wolves she's like this is just her oh shit moment like she's gone from the frying pan to the fryer she, i'd be like yeah they cower in their presence yeah they cower in their presence the wolves wolves could take on dogs right um, yes <laughs> although if dogs they were like 12 dogs so and one wolf though yeah but oh, well. i don't know but uh yeah it's just like it's it's perfect how fortuitous this moment is because on one hand she's going to get to go where she wants to go uh but on the other she's scared to death right now yeah we don't know that yet and if we were sticking with the book only we would only have sandor clegane's interactions with sansa and, and the rest of his his bits to yeah. the, the which are few the they were very story few. so far yeah but i still think it's enough to to make us be worried enough about this but not completely not completely I think he has enough good good sense about him so far um, to leave the book reader not necessarily worried about Arya living or dying, but just really interested in how this will turn out. Yeah, well, Thoros. I mean, God, it's, you're right, Micah. Talking about them, like talking about ransoming her in front of her. It's just like Thoros is just like, how much does um, Brendan Tully know you? Like, how well does he know you? Would he recognize you? Because they're trying to fetch the highest price, and it's just for Arya. It's this moment of it is like a let's say crossroads. Um, she can't move on. Her story cannot progress with these people. Uh, they're taking her someplace where her mom isn't even located now. It's just like, okay, so she has to escape. And she gets what she wants, but not who she wants it with, I guess. Does anyone find it interesting that Sandor Clegane and Rouge, they have very similar lines separated by only a few paragraphs as we move into this next Jamie chapter. One of uh, the Hound's last lines were, bugger that wolf girl, you're mine. And Rorge says to Jamie, bugger off, cripple. Uh, I don't know. Similar. They're kindred spirits. There we go. Kindred spirits. <laughs> kindred spirits. It's the best so, transition uh, just I had, this right? chapter, uh, as far as summary goes, um, 
Jamie saves Bran from a bear, right? We can do loans now. <laughs> Wait a minute. There are some wonderful conversations between Jamie and Kyburn. Kyburn's like my new favorite, like, uh, what's the word? Uh, black, Dr. Frankenstein. Black sheep character. He's not Frankenstein yet. He hasn't even gotten to King's Landing. He's just, mm-hmm. he's, he's doing a solid by Jamie here, okay? Not only is he able to attend him the rest of the way back to King's Landing from Harrenhal, but he has uh, continued to medicate. Jamie, and uh, obviously that brings about a very fortuitous turn of events in this chapter based on the dream that Jamie has that he decides to act on. But he's just a companion. He's actively having good conversations with Jamie the whole time. I don't know. Yeah. I've grown it's to like this bad. guy. It's weird. I've grown to like yeah. this guy. And, and and we are reminded in this chapter, I think it's an uh, interior monologue from Jamie, that uh, it's not necessarily unselfish that Kyburn has hopes of being reinstated as a meister um or something of the sort you know when it when it turns out that he has nursed jamie as close to health as he can he's not going to grow a hand back um yeah like jamie suggests bruce bolton says he has a fond hope that your father will force the citadel to give him back his chain and gratitude and jamie See? says we all have fond hopes if he grows yeah. me back a hand my father will make him grand maester yeah i know it's awesome so uh in general though we all so, yeah. have fond hopes <laughs> we all have fond hopes jamie so is is feeling down he's so not astute. his old smiling always smiling self but he's still got a few zingers mm-hmm. yeah well did you catch that zinger where um Roos is speaking to him, and he says, uh, the trident is in flood. Even at the Ruby Ford, the crossing will be difficult. You will give my warm regards to your father? Question mark. And Jamie says, so as long as you give mine to Rob Stark. Oh. And he says, that I shall. What the hell? I know. So is this, this is the dun, moment dun, then, dun, right? This dun. is like the moment which was not shown in the show, as far as I know, where he says no. that specific line. Um and then, they, but it leads into that specific line, which makes it to the show, which is the Lannisters send their regards. Yeah, which is, I mean, that's that's loud and clear right there. Well, super I mean, loud, hell. super super loud, super clear. Loud and clear, Love Bruce it. Bolton. Yeah, even if it's not entirely unselfish, uh, Kyburn and Jamie's discussions are a highlight of this chapter for me. I mean, sure, the whole thing with Brienne and the bear, yeah, 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 but. Man, <laughs> Meister Kyburn and Jamie right here. Yeah, Jamie uh, remembers a lot of the places as he goes along in this journey with Kyburn. And um, you know, he says, I've come this way before when they p- passed the deserted mill beside the lake. Weeds now grew where once the miller's daughter had smiled shyly at him and the miller himself had shouted out, the tardies back the other way, sir. <laughs> and of course, they're talking about <laughs> – the tourney where Jamie was knighted right. as a member of the Kingsguard. And uh, similar to the chapter we just did with Arya, we do get more backstory and learn that uh, Jamie was basically not dissimilar from Arya, you know, if, if you want to think of it this way, ransomed. Um, you know, it, you know re- referring to how he was given over to, um, to Eris. Uh, to serve in the king's guard, and there's that line from King Eris who said, "You know, he's mine now, not Tywin's. Mm-hmm. He'll serve as I see fit. I am the king. I rule, and he'll obey." You know, this is—it's so interesting because, if anything, he's more—he he shares more in common with the women of the story that are essentially auctioned off um, to the most strategic situation um, and given a life that they didn't choose, you know, for political gain. And Treat, this is kind of what happened property. here. Yeah. You know, he was, he was, he was, yeah. he was taken 
and he doesn't even get a spouse and children. Exactly. And, you know, basically now, because Jamie's in this situation, Lord Tywin is forced to do the king's bidding because his only son, at least in how he views Jamie versus Tyrion, yeah, yeah, yeah. is now a member of the King's Guard, and the Lannister line can really not continue through any male figure. Little does Tywin know <laughs> that well, there are three yeah. little beads <laughs> of hope for the, for the Lannister <laughs> line. This does so much for the sympathetic aspect of Jamie's character, though, learning that um, not only that that's how it's happened because we we could infer that that was the situation throughout all of these chapters but yeah. but knowing that he knows it as well does a lot for yeah. how we feel about him yeah. like the fact that he knows that this was not for glory and um he was it, it was not about the things that he had done it was not about what he had earned and how skillful he actually was it was literally only about Aerys Targaryen putting up a, a massive middle finger to Tywin, who was the only other person that could have the the situation to oppose him and the, yeah. and their situation of how politics were working. And uh, it's a shame. Yeah. And how crazy is it we get the mention of Jamie being sent back to King's Landing to guard little Prince Viserys? Because you're reading everything in the present, you don't realize sort of all the connections that exist here between these families. I know, and it keeps getting uh, deeper and, and more in- intricate as this uh, this book goes along, so I'm excited to see what else we'll see. You know, I, another uh, guy worth mentioning here, characters, is Steelshanks, who's actually leading this journey to return the Jamie. The peace band. Yeah, the peace, the peace band. With their peace banner. To return Jamie um, to King's Landing. And, and, and the thing is, even though Jamie has had these experiences where he's been uh used and here he's being used here he's being ransomed he still manages to form plans under 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 his whole mind and basically what i'm trying to say is that he uses uh steelshank's need for money or his his desires to basically get his ass into and out of the bear pit um at the end of the chapter and it's just like because steelshank's has sworn to protect him and Roose Bolton would kill or flay steel shanks first uh if if anything were to happen to jamie and jamie uses that so it's like even though he's sort of downtrodden vulnerable it's it's not his hand that's bothering him but rather his lack of his hand as he tells kyron i love Um, that line he still manages to kick some ass and and manipulate steel shanks and of course to say nothing of uh vargo hote um jamie kind of in his own way, is still managing to one-up everybody surrounding him. Jamie is now traveling with an interesting group of companions. And uh, you mentioned his relationship earlier, Eric, with Kyburn. And you do start to grow a little bit of an affinity for this guy. Kyburn sent him a woman. <laughs> uh, exactly. Yeah, that was the point night. I was about to raise. <laughs> he he gets a, a little bit of... Uh, it's a relief late night visitor from all of his pain that he's been enduring um, as he's uh, dealt with the fact that he's lost his hand. And, but 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 he sends her away. Now who's got honor, bitches? <laughs> Do you send girls to everyone you leech? <laughs> I think so. Uh, I don't think everyone. I, I think he likes Jamie. I think he has a vested interest in him. Uh, and I think that um, only good things can be waiting for him in King's Landing, knowing that he basically – Save Jamie's life. At least the rest uh, you know, of his with arm. The work that he's done. Yeah. Uh, and so, Kyburn has uh, 
a lot of good things coming his way. Maybe not uh, a grand maestership, but certainly uh, we know some things that he gets himself into from the show, and so we'll have to see how that all plays itself out. But uh, one other thing we learned from Kyburn is that uh, Brienne is still at the the mercy of Lord Vargo Hoot, and it's because of Jamie that Vargo did not accept the initial terms that were sent from Lord Selwyn. The 300 dragons. Right. Uh, Lord. <laughs> He's like, that's not enough. Right. Well, only because he believes that, uh, you know, there's Sapphire sapphires Island is floating somewhere. on sapphires. <laughs> right. and, yeah. and, and whose fault is that? I guess well, it is Jamie's fault. I wasn't seeing it there for a second. Then I thought, oh, yeah, the whole idea of the sapphires was Jamie's. Yeah. I love how, like, his men are just like, yeah, there's no sapphires. There's no such thing. But he doesn't believe them. Yeah. No, he's just, you know, they're all He's drunk. Like, oh, Vargo Hoke. They're uh, just, they've been drinking endless wine. Well, Kyburn, speaking of Kyburn and Brienne, um, Kyburn's job, we also learned this, was to inspect uh, some of the women that Vargo Hote uh, sort of took for himself. Um, after after a nasty experience, he made sure that they all, I guess, weren't weren't carrying diseases and this, that, the other thing. But um, Kyburn actually informs, this, this comes into play uh, for catchphrase later for Jamie. But um, just the idea that uh, Brienne is actually untar- untarnished, or however you wish to say, still a virgin, still a maiden, um, and that uh, Kyburn, you know, kind of—I don't know if the, this like puts the idea of Brienne back in Jamie's head, but it's just like, yeah, I inspected her, and she is still, um, she she still has her honor. I guess is is a big thing for for going that way of of viewing Jamie as as ha- as being this very honorable character who turns this other woman away um that brienne's honor is also intact and that kyburn had this job when he was there but at the same time i think you get jamie's character that we all knew from early on in the steer is starting to surface again because he does have that brief moment of actually feeling bad but then he switches over to if her maiden head's as hard as the rest of her, the goat will break off his cock trying to get in. <laughs> right. Brienne was tough enough to survive a few rapes, Jamie judged, though if she resisted too vigorously, Vargo Holt might start lopping off her hands and feet. Man. And if he does, why should I care? I might still have a hand if she had let me have my cousin's sword without getting stupid. Now he's just trying to talk himself. He's not like, yeah, he's not actively chosen to go back. He's not even really thinking about going back. But those lines, right? Yeah. Uh, especially the one about tough enough to survive a few rapes. He's just I mean, justifying it all in his mind, right? Yeah, that that's the Jamie that we you know, remember from Game of Thrones where he throws Bran out the window, sort yeah. of this pompous asshole. The things and I do for love. Really, over the last few chapters, he's been humbled quite a bit, um, particularly because of losing his hand. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, it's, it's a complete... You know, I wouldn't you know say one eighty three sixty. I don't know how far you want to go, but Barsman. <laughs> in terms of what he does at the end of the chapter, um, so you know the, the, you have these moments, especially with internal monologue, where you see glimpses of the old Jamie, um, but at the same time, you really feel like he's starting to redeem himself in some ways. Well, I mean, is it fair to say that his actions at the end of the chapter were prompted by this deep, deep fever dream? In the bowels of Casterly Rock? Yeah. If it really was Casterly Rock. 
Hmm. I think well, it he just, said it was the Rock. He, at first, I think it just says the Rock, Sean and Connery. I thought, it, yeah, it's the Rock. <laughs> I thought the same thing. I was just like, it's Alcatraz. So, what what do you think this all means? I mean, he's having um, a dream where he's basically having his own experience in what could be considered an underworld type setting. Yeah. The, the interesting thing is that there's like these all these men here, uh, some who he killed. Some who we didn't, who some who we just argued with in life, but they're judging him because he broke his honor to his king. One of the lines that they repeat to him is that uh, he had a duty to his king and he uh, betrayed that. And it's just like it's this crisis. Uh, it's not a crisis of faith. It's a crisis of honor because Jamie is is forever having to escape from this label, right? This Kingslayer label. It's basically his catharsis. Would you agree? In, in some ways, uh, yeah, or the beginning of. Yeah. Uh yeah, I would agree. He he's just having to come to terms with what he did. Still, he feels this guilt over betraying Eris. And it's not logical. It's just human. It's just because the logical thing to do was to I mean, at least the good the good the moral thing to do was to kill Eris, from what we understand. Um, but these men, these honor bound men like Ned Stark riding in on a fucking horse um you know and 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 all of the others uh are just his his uh brothers his kingsguard brothers his brothers his kingsguard brothers are all judging him and i think it's really it it is a call to action in a way because of what he sees here it's just like hey reclaim some honor like go help out that maiden who you just abandoned it's kind of like that i don't know that's how i see like these these men guilting him well he's facing so many of his fears He's facing Cersei and the disappointment he's given her not being there. Yeah. He's facing Brienne and how she's naked and alone, wondering if there's a bear down in there, which I found very interesting because there's a bear later on. So that was a very, very adept dream there. Very, very astute. Um, Curious. Very curious. Yeah, curious. Things like that, like the bear, make me think... Uh, what if there's more to this dream? We know that, uh, the Stark kids, I don't know. Like, I hate, I would hate it if every single character in Game of Thrones started having prophetic dreams that are tied to a superpower or anything like that. Um, but just this idea of Jamie in this dream also has his hand and has his fingers. And I keep thinking of that tree creature telling Bran that you will never walk again. Like, say, basically, saying basically that there's no power that can restore his legs but uh, Jamie in this dream still has his hands and fi- hands and uh, four fingers and a thumb and I'm trying to think is there really like I don't know because this dream seems prophetic is it possible that one day he'll have actually really have his hand back in the real world it was a weird thought but I think the fact that his hand is back is proving that it's only a dream yeah I mean that's a wish that's wishful thinking right there that's a scenario yeah. you'd like to have yeah well it's described as feeling better than sex um mm-hmm. which is also very like it's a real feeling though where it's like oh this is such a, a joyous moment to be able to flex the strength in your hand that it just for me it feels more real it just feels more like it could happen for some some somehow I don't know how what did you think about uh what Cersei had to say to him um as it related to the sword when she said the flames will burn so long as you live when they die so must you and later on we know the flame goes out but Brienne's burns strong I don't know when I was reading it 
I thought that there was more to Jamie's story than we know so far. And I don't have a solid answer for how I feel. It's all just kind of bouncing around on the top of my head, as I'm sure the those of you following along with us are feeling as well. And I don't wanna I don't wanna read any documentation on on what these things could mean. I just kinda want to think and simmer and stew and try to find my own conclusions, you know? Reminds me of uh Jacob Marley, right, in uh, Christmas Carol saying to Scrooge that the chains that you see me in were forged during my life by all the misdeeds, you know, that we made. Like, uh, basically, the the idea that Jamie's life is tied to this sword with these flames that he's not really holding in real life, but there's a sword somewhere burning, and it's just, uh, it's like the four fates or whatever with the candle, and they snip your your string, and that's when you die. Uh, just very kind of tying it back to mythology of I don't know this this light and when it goes out you die. Um, yeah, kind of a really cool cool image. And I have his sister in this dream. Um, obviously, very very much weighs uh, in on his decision making. He does he does want to get back to her, but at the same time, like he chooses to go back to Harrenhal. So it's it's kind of weird because it's just like he he does delay. I mean, you can't deny that. He delays a little bit of going back to see her. Yeah, I think you wonder if what he chooses to do now is influenced by the stream. And if by changing his course of action, he can prevent what he's seen here. Uh, The line is that terror closed a hand about his throat, that his sword went dark and only Brienne's burned as the ghost came rushing in. And what that would mean to me is that, you know, at least Brienne in this dream, based on what Cersei told him, is surviving longer than he is. And as the ghost came rushing in, I what I think about is all the things that he's done in his past are coming exactly. back to haunt him and to potentially lead to his own demise Yeah, in some way. He's standing bravely with Brienne, and I feel like he, he feels a kinship with her at this point. And he feels sort of a duty to stand beside her. And he knows that he's left her in this terrible situation. And he's already facing all of these things, theoretically and also literally in this dream. I mean, there's Rhaegar Targaryen. There's Oswald Went. There's John Derry, Luna Martell, the White Bull, Gerald Hightower, Sir Arthur Dane. And it's just, it's just all of these people are, are, are in a situation where they can they can literally quote circumstances where he has to defend himself and that's not good. Yeah. And, and when they, when they rush toward him, like you said, Micah, that, that's, that's exactly the impression that I got. And I feel like he's trying to avoid that. Now he's trying to avoid the ability or he's trying to avoid a situation where he's answering for things that were in his control. So when he wakes up, I, I suppose his first thought, he's just like, I want to take care of this situation and, right. uh, and make sure that it doesn't happen and that I'm a different person now. Yeah, not only that, he, he at one point is facing down Rhaegar Targaryen, who is confronting him about not protecting his exactly. wife and children. Yeah. He's like, I trusted you to do that. And Jamie's response was, I didn't think that they would die, right? Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know that that was what was going to happen. He's going to have to be a little bit more mindful of his father now from, from this point on. And what yeah. the people around him are capable of. I think that there's a lot more that could be said about things that take place in this scene, but I don't think that I can talk about them. Well, I challenge our readers then who are following along with us that don't have the uh, intention to to give us the direct uh, answers. You know, people that, that can theorize, theorize alongside with us, do that. And uh, theorize alongside us. Send us an email or tweet. 
or comet or whatever. Could also, um, could Jamie's sword going out and Brienne still be burning reference the future occurrence of him giving her oath keeper? Yeah. No, I, I think I, I that mean, that's yeah. definitely possible. I think it's open ended. There's lots of different conclusions that could be drawn there, especially since they're, they're the very nature of their companionship is about fighting together, essentially. Or going through things together. Yeah, the very last thing that he wants is to have a dream where she's, ha- having died, is pissed off because he didn't save her. Um, or, you know, didn't, didn't, not, not that he didn't save her because she doesn't need saving. I mean, in this case she does, but she's not like just a victim. But the idea that he could have stopped her death and didn't. He knows that he has clout in this situation and that if he tried hard enough, he could take care of it. And we yeah. see at the end of this chapter, he can. He had to jump into a bear pit, but he wasn't in any. <laughs> any direct danger uh, enough to make him not do it. He knew that there was a, a host of men there that doubled the size of these drunken, brave companions. Mm-hmm. And that at the end of the day, he's Jamie Lannister and they're going to damn take care of my situation. So it all, it all, it all worked into this circumstance where he took up for Brienne properly mm-hmm. and uh, slowly becoming a, a, a different person. And yeah. I don't think that he would want Brienne as an enemy, both living or or dead, any longer. So smart move, Jamie. I also think it's relevant that when he wakes up, uh, I'll read the line here. The moonlight glimmered pale upon the stump where Jamie had rested his head. The moss covered it so thickly he had not noticed before, but now he saw that the wood was white. It made him think of Winterfell and Ned Stark's heart tree. Oh, that makes so much sense. So, I mean, I would think that he was asleep on the stump of a werewolf. Yeah, that's that's very neat. I love that. And that gave him a bit of a, a bit of a, I don't want to say necessarily the green side, but let's just say it gave him slightly more spicy of a fever dream. See, that... Yeah, exactly. That... Uh. Eric, you like that? I can tell. Yeah, I want him to get his hand back. I think he's going to get his hand back now. He's not going to get his hand back. Come on. <laughs> Although that would be, I mean, listen, book seven, Jamie Lannister, like back, we've, we've never got to see the guy fight. You know what I mean? Like we, we got in his perspective and, as he was a captive. He had a little little tussle with Brienne, but he was, you know, I think he had always had his chains on or whatever or something like that. Yeah. So... I don't know. Book seven, Jamie Lannister fighting would be pretty badass. All I gotta say, but yeah, I don't think it's gonna happen. No, but uh, wow, that's that's amazing that he was sleeping where he was. Well, that squashes the whole everyone can have the the green dreams, Eric. So not too bad. Kyber and asked him if he wants more. It's one of the first things. He's, <laughs> yeah, he's another like, cup of dream wine. <laughs> he's like, I'm on my sixth. Oh man, yeah, yeah, right. He's like, yeah. Okay, let's play who's higher right now. We we brought a lot of it with us, a few casks. Oh man. So and that's what happens in this chapter. Jamie convinces Stillshank. And Kyburn and the rest of them yeah. <laughs> to follow uh, his wishes back to Aaron Hall. Uh, he yells at the gate, "Hey assholes, open the door!" <laughs> they, and so they do. He doesn't look into any of the murder holes. He's uh, resolute. He moves forward. Um, he doesn't see a lot of activity because everyone is circling around and shouting and yelling around a ten yards wide, five yards deep pit in which a bear is playing around with Brienne and her mirschlace. And what turns out to be a tourney sword, which is not as lethal as it could be. You know, it's a bad situation. And it's just like the show uh, portrayed it. And by God, Jamie jumps in there and he acts like a good friend. I feel like I'm proud of the guy. I feel like that's something that did a real most friends would have do in that situation. He did a real solid. He knows that Steel Shanks, who's who's met at this point because Bolton left, his men outnumber uh, Vargo Hotz. 
It's just like, mm-hmm. it's a no brainer to, well, I mean, it still takes courage, but he throws himself in and relies on Steel Shanks and his men to protect and kill the bear and also strong arm uh, Hote into letting them go, which is exactly what happens. But it's just like, he's telling Brienne not to engage the bear. She She was doing pretty good. I mean, she was like slashing at it, poking at it. It was, well, it hadn't killed her yet, let's just say that. But uh, when Jamie gets in there, he says, no, just kind of come over back behind me because he knows that Steel Shanks and his men are going to mm-hmm. take, take care of it. It's really special. This is this is a, an incredibly brave moment, and you can't help but read this and, and see a, just a, I don't want to say modern, but it's got a very modern zeal to it, how he just kind of jumps in there. He's kind of like... I got you. And she's like, what's going on? You can't do anything. He's like, I don't care. Get behind me. You know, it just, it works out. And when they get, and when, when it's all over, uh, that, that same sort of tone is still there. Uh, still Shank says, the wench is coming with us or whatever. And he's like, her name is Brienne. Brienne, the maid of Tarth. And he's like, you are still maiden, I hope. And it's just like, the moment is high energy and it's exciting. And they're being so kind to each other because they're, I mean, everyone is so, everyone that's in their camp is relieved that Jamie didn't die and Jamie's relieved that Brienne didn't die and Brienne's relieved that she didn't die. And at the same time, she's also happy that Jamie came back. And uh, it's just, there's a lot of happiness happening at this moment. Yeah. And it's, it's really great character building for Jamie. And she calls him Sir Jamie. And yeah. it, was just, it, was, it was great. It was great. It was really great. I loved it. Yep. So, uh, so ends the chapter though. Two chapters that were, Filled with some interesting prophecies slash dreams. Imagery out of the wazoo. So much here. This is a, a longer episode, but we are, we are glad to do it. It's been a fun conversation. A lot of content in these chapters. You know, it's funny because a lot of times when we've done Arya chapters, we talk about how oh, that she's just traveling along. Nothing really happens. She goes from one place to another with the Brotherhood. And yet this chapter was just chock full of stuff. So I think it's time that we uh, pay proper homage to it with some ownage. Yeah, I like that. My own goes to Micah for that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well I'll done. take it. Yeah. Edric Dane, that's an easy one. Um, just for claiming that he's related to Jon Snow. <laughs> like, man, we're milk brothers. Yeah, that's a thing. Duh. Milk, milk brothers with Jon Snow. I wasn't going to say anything, but, you know, I know who you are and... Yeah, we're totally milk brothers with your bastard brother. Totally, that was totally a thing. So <laughs> I, I like I like this kid Ned. That's good. Yeah, my own will go to the Hound for just yeah. stalking the Brotherhood. You yeah, know, right? So they didn't staying know. out on the edges, keeping a perimeter. Got, yeah, he didn't know. You know, just keeping an eye on the sentries, and then uh, eventually kidnapping the princess. Although she's not a princess, it sounds cooler when you say it that way. He, he, like he was in the right corner of the camp at the right time too like he was i don't know if he was just waiting for her to wander off or if that was just luck or what but i mean she could have gone in any direction obviously and and he he found her to take her and then overpowered her Mm -hmm. he's 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 on top of things he's very own worthy this chapter yeah yeah Yeah. uh my own goes to uh thoros of mir when he's telling his story uh, about King Robert, and he says, King Robert was fond of me, though. The first time I rode into a melee with a flaming sword, Kevin Lannister's <laughs> horse reared and threw him, and his grace laughed so hard I thought he might rupture. It was no way to treat a blade, though. Your master had the right of that, too. Yeah. Just Robert laughing <laughs> in a battle. Lannister, like, fell on his ass. That's good. 
That's Good job, everybody. Nobody gave it to the point of view character. Eric can go and sleep soundly. You will sleep good, soundly tonight, Eric. You know, I can't sleep soundly except I'm about to betray that role for Jamie Jeff. Oh, no. Uh, please mild, please mild. go on, my friend. Um, here's how I'm going to justify this. It's I'm going to give account. it, <laughs> I'm going to give this own to Dream Jamie. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Right? I always look for ways to break my own rule. I know it's my own rule. Um, I don't do it that often, though, to my credit, but sometimes I do. Sometimes I just gotta. Okay, so uh, Dream Jamie, in his dream, it's it's not quite at the point where all of the Kingsguard is there in front of him. He just sees Ned, and uh, he shouts, I have this, this is beautiful. Um, Is it you, Stark? Come ahead. I never feared you living. I do not fear you dead. Uh, just taunting this um, ghastly projection of Ned to come and come and get him, basically, because he feels invincible because he's got his hand. Yeah, it also sounds like a song verse. Yeah, um, it does. Cool it actually rhymes, which I didn't realize it rhymed until I said it. You got an incantation. Although, honorable mention to Vargo Hote <laughs> for this quote. You flew my bear. I was going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean he's it's he could have said you killed my bear but instead you know this guy who can't speak well speaks well so you have to utilize if you have a char- if you have a defining character trait like a lisp you should use it when whenever all possible it's literally spelt in the book T H L E W you flew my bear you flew my bear well eric Real Jamie gets my own. Oh no! Real Jamie. See, we gets were never my getting own. out of this podcast episode without the rule being broken. So now I feel better. Real Jamie gets my own. Also, real Brienne gets my own because that must have been terrifying to be stuck there with those people and to be put into a bear pit. That's rough. But thanks to real Jamie for bringing the cavalry, deciding to bring the cavalry, and for leaping into that pit. That was an inspired decision. Yeah, man. And uh, that's inspiring, damn it. So, high five, Sir Jamie. She was prepared to fight that bear, even with the tourney sword. My own also goes to Jamie. Yes. Uh, so, I'm actually, I'm, line, I came closest uh, uh, uh. to sticking to my rule then. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Unless you take me back to Harrenhal, the song I sing my father mm. may not be one the Lord of the Dreadfort would wish to hear. Mm-hmm. I might even say it was Bolton ordered my hand cut off and steal Shanks Walton who swung the blade. <laughs> I mean, pretty smart. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, if, we're talking about, if we're talking about good Jamie quotes, although I'm sure one of our Twitter listeners may have gotten this, but uh, the whole I only rescue maidens <laughs> thing. Yeah. Yeah. You're still you a see? maiden, right? And she's like, yeah. yeah. She, she likes, she's a sucker. She goes right into it. And he's just like, oh, good, because I only rescue maidens. It's like, I'm awesome. It was such a good, I don't know, I love that mood there. You know, it was so positive and happy, even though they were in the midst of a, a pit with a sadly killed bear and all this yelling, just this terrible folk, you know? It just felt nice. There at the end, when she's like, so Jamie? It's like even in soiled pink satin and torn lace, Brienne looked more like a man in a gown than a proper woman. <laughs> I am thinking. grateful you were well a- away. Why come back? And he goes, it goes... A dozen quips came to mind, each cooler than crueler than the one before. <laughs> but Jamie only shrugged. I dreamed of you. Yeah, that's a great way to end the chapter. Right I know there. why people ship them now. Lots of good stuff here. I'm sure. I'm sure if Kate were here, she would also give the own to Jamie. I think so too. I'd like to think that for good reason. He's a he's a complete badass MVP. MVC, most valuable character. In yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. MC MVPOVC. There we go. So those of you that are listening, playing at home, what do you think? Let's find out. What do you think? 
Oh, yeah, I guess we already asked you. And <laughs> some, of <my> <laughs> some of you replied. A little out of date, but uh, either way, it's just nice to say hello. So let's uh, let's go to those things and see what some of you thought. Okay. Well, from uh, our Facebook wall, those of you who scrawled your owns upon the wall, uh, we have uh, Christina V. Klein, who says, once again, to the dreamers and the storytellers. That's kind of a nice broad own for these chapters. There's lots of dreams and people who act on dreams and people who tell other people's stories of other long tourneys long gone by. I like that own a lot. We also heard from Kim, one of our council members, who mm-hmm. says, uh, Once Jamie might have countered with a smile and a threat, but one-handed cripples do not inspire much fear. He wondered what his brother would do. Tyrion would find a way. Own goes to Jamie for starting to use his quick wits a la Tyrion and Tywin. He had it in him all along. Yeah, I guess that's true. He did. And own for Arya, the Lightning Lord, she thought angrily. Maybe he couldn't die. But he could lie. Ouch. <laughs> Leonard Carl writes in, Own to the bear for almost owning the otherwise badass Brienne. I agree. Winterboo deserves our credit. Yeah. And it was nice to finally meet him. It was. It was nice. Um, Poor thing. Took a bunch of arrows. Really like Boromir, isn't it? Yeah, he did. They took the little ones. A bit like Boromir. <laughs> uh, Jared Gozal wrote in and said, uh, Arya owned to the ghost of Highheart. <gasps> Uh, for the strong aura of melancholy and foreboding she brings to this chapter. This woman has seen some shit, yet she gets one glimpse of the darkness that surrounds <laughs> Arya, and she wants no part of it. Is it the question, is it the past or future that frightens her? Interesting, interesting. And Jared's... I'm with you on that, buddy. Own for Jamie says, own to the strange combination of dream wine... Werewood stomps, hey there. That'll do it. And long dead shades that kindled Jamie's burgeoning conscience and inspired him to return for Brienne. She'll she'll have to ask him about that dream sometime. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Those were really neat to see in the show. Really good Facebook owns there. Yeah. Great owns. Sometimes there's those extra characters that you write uh, that you can write on Facebook lead for more detail it'll do it but you can on twitter you only get 140 yeah let's That's see true. how these people handle it yeah and uh we heard from another one of our council members thank simon you, council members thank you who simon. kept it way under 140 characters <laughs> and he, he just said this is pretty straightforward own to brienne for biting off lord varco's ear well sometimes you got to do it all right yep she had a tyson holyfield moment <laughs> um anthony gibbs also wrote in he said, own to the dwarf woman with no teeth for giving it a go at limb for a sloppy kiss. Hashtag doesn't hurt to try. Hashtag woman wants her groove back. Can't blame her. <laughs> you just can't blame her. I'm with you, Anthony. That's pretty good. She's like, I'm so old. I taste like bones. <laughs> she, yeah, she's like, I haven't kissed anything in a thousand years. A thousand years. We heard from Robin Escobar. Arya, the own of the chapter, goes to Edric Dane. For making the Jon Snow mother theory still open for discussion. There you go. He does present a whole new side to that that nobody was expecting. And then we heard from Ujwal, who says, Thoros owned the Arya chapter. Quote, that was unkind, Thoros chuckled. <laughs> True, but unkind. <laughs> I lol I, I also allowed at that moment, yeah. and I'm probably going to use that myself. <laughs> <laughs> Mara Quinn wrote to us, well, finally, 
I guess this is a response to our episode, our new episode this week. Well, finally, it feels like you guys have been gone longer than Binge and Stark. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mara Quinn will never take a week off ever again. She'll be here all week. We heard from a brand new listener, actually, which is super friggin' sweet. Awesome. Corey Ryan at Dark Rinku on Twitter said, started the podcast today. Looks like I'll be busy with 260 episodes. Thanks for getting me hip. At Gary Maness, who probably yeah. is the person who shared it with him. Yeah, so high five to Gary Maness and also to Corey Ryan. Gary and Corey. Yeah. And also we have to give it an extra high five to Gary for always tweeting us <laughs> some of the best shit. We got stuff from Gary today. It's Did down we? here. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. It's, it's, um, this next well, one. There we go. I heard from Phyllis Ashley, who says, You know Game of Thrones Season 5 is getting closer when one uses the expiration dates on food items in the refrigerator <laughs> as a gauge. Yep. That was like, people like that one. (laughs) Phyllis, I see your humor and I raise you an LOL. And speaking of Gary Manis, Eric? Just says, at Game of Thrones, poor old Jorah. And it has a photo of Daenerys on all of the slaves who are are crowd surfing. Crowd surfing, yeah. The Mesa scene. And uh, Jorah, in immense pain, is shouting up to the heavens, Everyone is touching the booty but me! <laughs> <laughs> it's it's, the, it's this, the shot of him outside of the House of the Undying when he's yelling Khaleesi into the air. Oh, Khaleesi! Just, oh, yeah, where he's just so distraught. And yeah, so that's, that's pretty darn funny. Everyone's, pretty darn funny, if you ask Everyone's me. touching the booty but me. And we did get an email in from Jocko, who says... Hey guys, I've done some catching up on Goo and really loved your Jamie Bat scene over an episode. <laughs> don't we? Don't we all? Don't we all? <laughs> <laughs> that was a good bath. Great yeah. bath. Uh, amazing chapters and great analysis. Thank you. Currently, I'm reading George R. R. Martin's debut novel, Dying of the Light, and stumbled upon a guy called Yanasek mm. saying this little nugget: "You are no Kavalar." You do not understand Kavalars. <laughs> I would guess, yet you stand here and I see judgment in your eyes. By what right? Who are you to judge us? You have to do this audiobook. Sorry, go on. <laughs> Maybe an early version of Jamie. Hashtag, by what right does the wolf judge the lion? Not that hashtags make any sense in emails. Mm. That's the new thing, though. That they will in the not-too-distant yeah, future. We get lots of hashtags in our emails. Just to uh, let you guys know. <laughs> I don't know what that says about you guys, but... They love the hashtags. They love them. Uh, you guys might want to check out Dying of the Light one day. It's a great book, and there's quite a few themes and characters that seem familiar from A Song of Ice and Fire. So maybe we will. Hmm. Owens, for the next chapters, go to George R. R. Martin for his futile attempt to misdirect readers regarding R plus L equal J, which we know is Rhaegar plus Lyanna equals John, hmm. uh, and to Dream Brienne for protecting... Dream Jamie, as I guess everyone will give the own to Jamie. Hey, I'm mentioning oh. Dream Dream Jamie. Ah, oh. uh, Jack and I. So, as you can see, there's a number of different ways that you can all get in touch with us: Twitter, Facebook, and email. Yes. Those are all viable options. At Game of Owns on Twitter, Facebook.com/slash Game of Owns, and of course, contact at Game of Owns.com. We are eagerly anticipating all of your future ownage. We sure are. We mentioned some of our council members who wrote in and gave us owns this week. I think it's super important to let everybody listening know that you too can be a council member and you'll be privy to extra special bonus content weekly at this point, weekly. And uh, to do so, or to find out a little bit more, go over to patreon.com slash goo. It's our Patreon for the show. And we, we put a lot of effort into providing 
very special content for everyone who is a patron. And I think that if you ask these people, which you're more than welcome to, our bannermen, our close small council men uh, and women, ladies, will all agree that we have a lot of fun over there in addition to this always going to be free show yeah that's it's definitely true we have the fifth chapter of the series that we do monthly only over on patreon coming soon and it's going to have a bunch of the antics that i was able to capture of eric in orlando (laughs) on my cell phone you could have the 20 minute small world ride (laughs) i didn't realize the ride was that fucking long and to be fair you're like uh to to its credit your battery like totally stayed exactly I, I charged it one time the whole week yeah. I, unbelievable just friggin unbelievable man yeah we recorded 20 minutes we recorded zach and i going through the entire it's a small world ride disney i promise i won't put that entire thing into, <laughs> yeah. the, into that no episode, zach is so zach is an amazing curator um i've actually endorsed him in the role of curator on linkedin uh, just recently because of... I uh, actually don't have LinkedIn, thank God. <laughs> oh, shit. Who's this other Zach Louie, then? Are you serious? <laughs> no, of course not. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> there's, another, right, well, there's somebody pretending to be you on LinkedIn. Before we get too far <laughs> into whatever is happening right now, can we just say thank you to um, everyone that is listening? It has been really fun. And, and like Micah said at this, the top of the episode, we haven't come together in a bit. It's been a very busy time for all of our schedules. And uh, we're excited about this fifth season approaching. I'm in the trenches working on the Game of Thrones compendium, and we're all in the trenches making Game of Thrones. So just in general, um, high five to all of you that are at home and are excited about being a part of this community, because I can I can bet that there are some very, very cool things approaching uh, the show and during the show and following the show. So let's all just get excited that we're on the ground floor here and uh, we're all a part of the action. Yeah. Absolutely. And I will say we, we are... Three, four, five, six, seven chapters away from the Red Wedding. Uh-oh. And we should have some very interesting news regarding that stuff, probably on our next episode when Kate's back. So we look forward yeah, to that. Yeah, so until then, um, next week, we visit Catalin and Sam. We haven't seen Sam in a while. Did it's been too long. Say, Sam? Oh, jeez. Oh, wow. Sam's evil twin brother, Jam. <laughs> Jam. <laughs> uh, hey, guys. It's only... Sam's third chapter of A Storm of Swords. Hmm. So uh, we get to see what he is up to. I believe we are introduced to a new character huh. hmm. that did not make the show. Hmm. Hmm. Intriguing. Kate will be back next week, but I know that the three of us, uh, Micah, Zach, myself, all had a blast talking about these two chapters. Very, um, It's, it's going to be interesting going off to uh, sleep. Uh, imagine what my dreams will be after reading these two <laughs> chapters on Dreaming. I hope they get influenced somehow. Uh, maybe I'll see Ned Stark. I don't know. On behalf of Game of Owns, I'm Eric Stone. I'm Sam. No, I'm Sam. Um, I am... Um, Zach. Zach, yeah. That's it. <laughs> uh, apologies to Mike and Tannenbaum. We're out of... So until then, <laughs> good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Look at it. Slices, dices, 
Something else. <laughs> Slices. What are you gonna do? Dice me? <laughs> Dice me. <laughs> um, Harry, I took care of it. <laughs> Pretty bird.